All right, today we are going to be looking, uh, I think, depending upon time constraints, we'll be looking at three different scriptures, okay? And we're going to be talking about as a subject this morning, believing God. Now, something that as Christians, and we're even called this, we're even called believers. That's what we're supposed to be, believing, trusting God, his word. But saints, that's not as easy. Or let's just say there are times that, are, that it is more difficult to be able to trust and to believe God. Now, if you walk with God any length of time, you understand this because we do not see what God sees. We do not always understand what is going on around us, the things that God is working out, the things that God is doing. And sometimes the trials, the tribulations, the difficulties, the hardships, sometimes devastating events that we go through in this life make us want to look up into heaven and say, God, I don't understand. Or it may just be not that you want to, but you do. I do that. Um, I wish I could say that I was more holy or that I was better, but I found that being very open and honest with God brings about a very open honesty with God back to us. I don't, I'm not per se complaining, although there is a tone to it every once in a while, but what I do is I share with God if I don't understand, if I'm hurting and I don't understand why a situation happened, and I don't give that to God, if I don't talk to God about that, it doesn't get any better. When you have questions, whenever you have hurts and fears, if you don't go to God and if you don't let him in, you know, we've talked about this, and I know you've heard this illustration from me many times, but it's just like a child who falls and skins their knee, and, you know, they're sitting there crying and they're hurting, and they come to the child and they say to the child, let me see it. What's the first thing they do? No. You know, they put that hand right over the knee, and they're looking, I don't want you to look at it. Well, why don't you want me to look at it? It might hurt. Well, sometimes things in this life hurt, and sometimes maybe even getting it cleaned up might sting just a little bit, but ultimately it's for your good in the long run. So don't hide your wounds from the Lord. Let him at them, and he can help you, and he will help you with that. But trusting and believing God when you're on the mountaintop is one thing. It's easy to proclaim the victory because you can see it, you're holding it, you're tasting it, it's there. But what about day to day? What about your living and your walking with God day to day? Something that God had to get through my head in the last few weeks, something that he really had to hammer to me, is we are always looking for the trial. We are praying, Lord, let me be obedient. Lord, teach me how to walk with you. Teach me how to love others. Teach me how to set my own will aside and to love you and to be obedient to you. Teach me, Lord, how to control my tongue. Teach me, Lord, how to control my attitude. Teach me, Lord, to be an edifier of people, to build them up. And Father, only bring correction if I recognize my own faults and also if those corrections are for the purposes of helping another. And so I ask for, for, for those things in my life. But... One thing that I was missing in my life is I was looking for that trial, that tribulation, you know, that big event that you see in the Bible that was happening in somebody's life. And you know what I'm saying? Well, God through that is shaping me. 
He would shape me through those big events. And God had to open my eyes to something. Do you know on a daily basis, those things that you think are trivial are those little things that may gnaw at you, are those things that show you the difference between yourself and how God would like for you to be? People, that's the trial, that's the test right there. It doesn't have to be that a volcano is exploding beside you and you have to run out and grab 50 people, okay, to try to pull them to safety. It doesn't have to be something something cataclysmic. What it is, is on a daily basis, God speaks to our hearts and he reveals to us those things which he desires for us and we make choices. And inside our hearts and inside our minds, the war begins. And the question is, is what will we do? Now, before we go out there and we tackle some of these cataclysmic things that we were describing other, you know, these big grandiose things that might happen, people, if we haven't gotten these things, the things that God is working with us on a daily basis, how will we ever expect to handle some of these other things? The trials that come into your life on a daily basis, are God's workings in your life for the purpose of transforming and changing you into the creature he desires for you to be. That's what he's doing. Daily, God is working in you. you. Think of it this way. The scripture says, he that has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. When you gave your heart to Jesus and you said it, you meant it. You said, God, I want to be everything that you desire for me to be. I want my life to be yours. He began working on you, chiseling away, moving the furniture around, you know, inside your heart and your life to make it the way he wants it to be. But the problem is, is we usually kick and scream against him because we're like, well, God, you know, we don't see it as God moving in our lives. We just see it as, you know, Lord, it would be easy for me to follow follow you if I didn't have all these distractions in my life. That's one of those aha moments, okay? You begin to realize those distractions and those things that are in your life are there to teach you how to differentiate between the attacks of the enemy, the cares of this world, and what is needed in our walk in obedience to God. If we will take the time to recognize that God is working then, always, in our lives, he's always working. There is so much more that God could do in us if we would let him do that. But instead, Shane Phillips here, he wants to cry and moan, and this didn't turn out this way. This person's upset about this. This didn't turn out this way. And, you know, Lord knows I'm working on this one. And, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to get things to where they're supposed to be so things can run smoothly. And God speaks to my heart, and he says, yeah, and I'm trying just as hard as I can to get you to run smoothly and get you where you need to be so that you can do those things. But we don't recognize it. There is a spiritual war. We've done quite a few teachings on spiritual warfare. We just don't know what that spiritual warfare is. That warfare takes place in the mind, in the heart, that is, in the will. The enemy is constantly bombarding our minds, exposing us to things 
I've shared many stories with you in the past, and some of them probably stayed with you, some of them you probably dismissed. But there's one story, maybe I'll repeat it again, you know, just for, and it's, it's not for the graphicness of the story, it's that the enemy, don't think that the enemy can't find you and put garbage in your path, okay? So here I am, I'm a young teenager, and I have this call of God upon my life, and I want to live for Jesus. The only problem is my hormones are raging and women are beautiful. When God made the woman, oh my goodness, people. That's a beautiful, wonderful creature. It really is. I found me a red-headed one and I, let me tell you what, she did and she stuck. Okay, how's it going, baby? Okay. So I decided that I was going to make a covenant with my eyes. And I was going to try to make sure that I kept my eyes focused, that I was focused on Christ, and I wasn't going to be tempted with lust or any of those other things that young men are tempted with. Can I get a witness that old men get tempted with that stuff too? Be careful what you say. She is sitting close to you. So here I go. My uncle comes to me and he says to me, he says, Shane, do you want to go fishing? I said, I would love to go fishing. It didn't matter if you put a bucket and water in the backyard, I will throw a hook in it. Okay. So what I did was I decided that, yeah, I'm going to go fishing with my dad. We go down on the Congaree River, but we go all the way up to where the Saluda and the Broad River come together to make the Congaree. This is, you have to traipse through the woods, people. They call it the mouth of the creek of the river. And, and I guess that's just a way of saying there's a whole lot of junk there. So we got out there to go fishing there and another soul around, okay, except for mosquitoes. And that's our state bird in South Carolina. You think it's the wren, but it's not. It is the mosquito. So anyway, so we get out there and we start fishing, having a good time. I am watching these rockfish run right up to my bait, just right up to the, I'm, I'm about to get into them. And the next thing we know, a guy comes walking up beside us and he says to us, he says, can I take a quick picture? Well, I thought he meant of what we were fishing for, right? He had lugged this woman out into the woods to where he could have a photo shoot with her. People, you can't make this stuff up. And at which point I look at him and I look at it. Now, you, some, now your next question, y'all, I know how, what you're thinking. Was well, this woman clothed? She had on a bathing suit, yes. But, you know, most bathing students today, people, it doesn't cover, a, I don't know, 10% of the body. But anyway, going on. My point was, is in the middle of the woods where I could be alone with my uncle and there's no reason for anybody to be out there. Boom, it's in front of you. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to run away from this garbage. And, you know, in, in my mind, I was saying, Lord, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't want to see this. I want to be what you want me to be. And it doesn't seem like I can get, I can get away from the enemy. And God would speak to my heart, and he says, it doesn't matter the enemy will try to find you wherever he can. But he said, the beautiful thing is that I am always with you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He'll come at you, but I'll always be with you. I'll never, ever leave you. But you have got to trust me 
and you have got to let me take control of what's going on inside of you. Well, I, I didn't do too well, and I haven't over the years done very well at this, and God has to keep reminding me and bringing me back to this, that shame, the war is in the heart and it's in the mind. The tactic, listen to me please, the tactic of Satan, his primary tactic is not banging on the walls at night. It's not, you know, uh, sounds that you are echoing through the hallway. It's not all of that garbage. The devil is a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. The idea is not of him running around with a club, but it is the idea of a roaring lion looking for someone that he can devour. That is, he is hungry, but his primary vice that he uses on people is the tongue. If he can get you to believe a lie, you're done. If you believe it, if you believe the garbage that he tells you, you're done. If God make, well, let's, let's do this. If the devil makes you believe that people are against you, then you're convinced people are against you. It doesn't matter how much they love you. If you are convinced that this person is in opposition to you or that this person doesn't want to hear what you have to say, you're convinced of it. Or how about this? If you are convinced in your heart, let's say that you'll never be, you'll never become, you'll never do, you'll never be worthy. Does that resonate with anybody else? How has your self-worth been as you have grown up over your life? Have your parents built into you what they were supposed to build into you? Your parents as representatives of God are were supposed to be the ones that took you and taught you what God had to say about you. But when the enemy speaks to you and tells you that you're garbage and you believe that, when you're worthless and you'll never do any better and you shouldn't even try. He does this stuff all the time. Or let's go another route. Suppose he tells you you need, 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 need. You've got to have more, 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 more. And you spend your life on a quest of just trying to get in hopes of that you will get that one thing that will fulfill the void that is in your life. And I have yet people. To be anyone, now I'm going to tell you, there's some neat toys out there, and they're fun to play with for a while, but they all, all of them eventually wane. Because true meaning, true life, true purpose, true fulfillment is not found in the world. We talked about this early on when I first got to, was able to be privileged to be here at the church, but we are all looking for life, eternal life, life, abundant life. That life is only, only found in Jesus Christ. You can't find it anywhere else. There's no other person that can give it to you. The devil will promise it to you, but he can't deliver it. But going back once again, this struggle of believing what God said, it's hard to trust and believe. Here's something for you, a little exercise. Did you know that God is every bit as present in this room as he ever has been or ever will be? He's right here in this room. That is a fact. That's not a question. God is here. God sees. Angels are in this place right now because the people of God are here. And I'm going to tell you something else that a lot of people don't believe. They'll say, well, the devil can't come into church. I think he's the most faithful attendee of anybody else. Oh, he comes in. His whole thing is to disrupt, to distract, 
to pull away and to rob out of people's hearts the work that God is intending to do. The question is, who will you listen to? Who you give ear to as a man thinks in his heart or as a woe man thinks in her heart, so are they. What you truly believe in your heart, that is who you are. And the devil has perverted us. And yes, I do believe. Let me, let me say this for everybody by the airways out there. I do believe in a personal devil. I do not believe he is just some kind of personification of evil or something that we have created, let me say this, an idea of evil to say that evil exists and it's a force in this world. No, there is an actual Satan, a fallen being that exists and his goal is to destroy, still kill and destroy. Jesus said it himself. But he is always waging war in our hearts. So I want you to see something. This war that goes on in our minds to believe and to trust God, what he said. Take a look if, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll start with verse 3. Now, let me tell you something about context. I want to be very, very careful. Sometimes whenever we read Scripture, we have a tendency to cherry pick. We kind of pull it out of there, and then we talk about it, and we make it say the things we want it to say, and we don't give context to it, okay? Well, in context, this is Paul dealing with people who have a lofty idea of themselves and a very low opinion of him. And in essence, they have said that Paul is not teaching the truth. They are perverting the gospel. And what they do is they are putting their ideas, their thoughts, their wishes above the plan of God. And as such, Paul is responding to this. But in this passage, you're going to see something that applies really across the board, not just to this situation, but it does apply in everyday life when the enemy attacks us. So God bless the reading of his word. So it's going to say here, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are human beings. Whether I believe it or not, I am flesh and blood. I bleed. I hurt. I can get sick. I can die. Okay? I am a human being that must walk and trust in my Lord and in my God. So listen to this. For though I walk in the flesh... Because I am a Christian, because I belong to Christ, I now have special weapons, okay? So therefore, although I may walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Warring according to the flesh has to do with our voices. It has to do with how we feel, the things that we might strike at each other. It has to do with physical weapons of this, war, of this world. You think about it today. Right now, we go to war, whether we are fighting one another or whether it escalates to countries against countries, that's how we war. The one who, who, who is stronger, the one who has the bigger sticks wins. Or at least it appears to be that way. But he said, we don't have weapons that we're going to use that are of this world. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly weapons, but they are mighty. They're mighty in God 
These things tear down, listen to this, these weapons of God tear down strongholds of demonic spirits, demonic strongholds, forces of darkness, okay, that lay their clutches and sink their claws into human beings all over the place, into countries, into mindsets, into cultures. He said, our warfare is fought with spiritual weapons that can destroy those. Even the mindset that was fighting Paul here. So the weapons of our warfare are not just fleshly weapons, but these are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. But here's the deal. Here's something that we have to do. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That should be something daily, an exercise that we should be involved in. Because if you do not, the prevailing thoughts in your mind, the things that strike you during the day, the things that push your buttons and light you up and distract you and keep you from being fruitful and functioning and doing those things that God wants you to do, the enemy is going to make sure that he does those things. He's going to do it. But, What we do is every thought that is contrary to Christ, everything that would move us into that direction, we need to grab it, spiritually grab it. In other words, say, no, we take that thought and we bring it into submission, into obedience to Christ. If you have a thought, if you have a temptation and that thing is drawing you away from Christ, tell it no. Make sure in your minds, no. I choose Christ, I'm going to follow him, and I am not going to live this way so this garbage can go ahead and get out of my mind. I'm not going to have it. You say, well, Shane, sometimes those thoughts plague me. Worship. I'm going to tell you right now how to get rid of temptations and all that kind of stuff that comes your way and plagues your mind, and you go to bed at night and you're dreaming about it and you're thinking about it. You want it gone. I'm going to tell you. It's something we've been saying all along, but this is the truth. Worship. Truly worship. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is that Christians don't know how to worship. We started out with worship, but we abandoned it somewhere along the way. In order for you to come to Christ, to give your heart and life to him, we do something called repentance. That is turning away from our sins. Yes, sorry for our sins, broken for our sins, but we need to turn away from those sins. And in other words, Jesus, I don't want to be this anymore. And so we come before Christ and say, please, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. I lay my life down before you. You attribute ultimate worth to him. You are beginning worship. It isn't just singing a song, although that could be a great portion of it. But here's what I want you to do. When the enemy plagues your mind, worship him. Worship him with all of your heart. What I mean by that is um, we used to do this in college, and I, and I probably told you the story too. You're probably getting tired of my war, war stories, but I don't, so it's okay. But we would get together every day in between classes that we had a break, and we would get in the room, we'd put on some worship music, and we would for a good 30 to 45 minutes. Now, I'm not saying you have to do it 30, 45 minutes. You can do it six hours. Knock yourself out. The issue in Jesus if you and Jesus are, you know, just, just there in the zone, you take the rest of your life and do it. Don't bother me. 
But we would take this time just to love Jesus. And there were days people, we'd get in there and we'd have that music lightly going in the background and we'd start praising and loving the Lord. And boy, the Spirit would start moving in there. You're getting all excited. you got goosebumps going up and down your back, tears running down your face. Those are awesome times. They are awesome times. However, there are times that you're tired. There's times, you know, in school they, they give you homework and it's, it's evil. It is. It really is evil. <laughs> God's not in it. You know, we prayed against it, but it didn't stop it for some reason. Um, but no, you had mornings where you woke up and you just, ah, oh, I just really want to sleep in. I don't want to go do this. I don't want to do this. And, and, and people, let's say it for what it is. I really would rather not go to this worship session. I really just want to go back to my room. I want to relax. I want to be left alone for a while. But we committed ourselves to going there and to worship. And there are times where I could, I mean, I was like, Jesus, um, I love you. I worship you. You're my God, you're my Savior, you're wonderful God. And that's about all I could do. And then I thought about it, and I said, you know what? The one thing I can do, whether I feel like it or whether I want to, is I can give this time to Jesus. And so I sat there and I said, Lord, if all I can do is try with all of my heart to express my love for you, I'm going to do that. And so I began to say, I love you, Jesus. I mean it. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. You gave your life. And I just keep saying it over and over and over and over. And you know, eventually, you start feeling Jesus. We walk by faith, not by feelings. God is true whether we feel goose pimples or not. And like we were talking about this morning, the uh, three Hebrew children that were getting ready to be thrown into the furnace I can assure you, knowing that you're getting ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace, uh, probably you don't have goose pimples at that moment. If anything, you got sweat rolling all over you. And for them to look at them and say, you know, can't know this. Whether you throw us in, whether our God saves us or not, know this, we are not going to bow down and worship that image of gold, so do what you got to do. But it has nothing to do with the goose pimples and those other things. It has everything of saying, God, you are still God. Listen to it. Your word is still true, and I am going to believe you. There is coming a time, Christ even said so, and we even see it today, where people are standing up and saying, I believe Jesus, I'm standing for Jesus, when the culture around them laughs them to scorn and makes fun of them. You ever wonder why the Bible says, blessed is he or she who is not ashamed of me. The one that is not ashamed of me, Jesus said, I will not be ashamed of you before my Father and his angels. We stand up and we proclaim the truth anyway. There may be consequences for that. We may be shunned. We may be persecuted all in the world. We may be imprisoned. We could even be martyred for it if we're fortunate. And people look at you crazy when you say that. If you're fortunate, you might be martyred. I've heard some people say, well, if I go overseas and, and I preach the gospel, I might be martyred. I said, uh, you think a lot of yourself, don't you? The Bible says martyrdom Speaking of those people who gave their lives for the gospel, of whom the world was not worthy that they walked upon it. Martyrdom, believe it or not, is a blessing and a gift that God allows in the lives of his children to give the greatest of all sacrifices just like he himself gave. 
precious in the eyes of the Lord as the death of the saints. So, but we have to bring those thoughts, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We have to say, no, I choose to believe what God said. I choose to believe that God is here. You may be surrounded by death, and God is still there. God speaks, and it is so. So we bring every thought, bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, believing God, believing God, trusting and believing God. We talked about it at the beginning. One of the most difficult things for people to do in practical life. One thing, like I said, whenever you're on the mountaintop, it's easier. But do you trust him day to day? Is his word still true? Is he still God every single day? When everything falls out below you and it doesn't seem like there's anything else to stand upon, is he still God? I want to be. I hope that I will be. Now, hear that word? I hope that I will be. I want to be the one that when the world's on fire and everything's falling apart and everybody that is around me looks at me and and condemns me, points their finger in my face and says, you are a liar, you don't know, this is not true. I want to be the last person standing there saying, I don't care, I still believe him. Though he slay me, I still will serve him. I want to be the person that believes to the last, absolute last second. I want to walk into eternity And God look at me and say, whew, that's impressive. And people look at you and say, oh, are you trying to impress God? Let me tell you something. Did you know that there's several people in the Bible that actually impressed God? The centurion did. Jesus turned around and said, I haven't found faith like this in all of Jerusalem. Job, is there any man like him on the earth? A man who, you know, loves the Lord, he escheweth evil. There are many people that impressed God because they were willing to stand when others bowed the knee. And I hope one day, not just to have God say, ooh, that's cool, but for God to say, thank you for standing for me, just like I stood for you. All right, but believing, we all know about this. We know how our ancestors fell, but I want you to see one scripture. This is Genesis um, 15, 6. So Genesis 15, 6. I was told today that I couldn't look at my watch. I've been forbade from looking at it. So I'll put it right there. If it happens to look at me, that's its fault. I want you to hear a very beautiful and powerful scripture. And he, Abraham, and he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. That's what the New Testament quotes whenever it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We go back to our ancestors. Let's go back. As a matter of fact, we'll come, come back to Scripture in a minute. But let's go to Genesis chapter 3, and I'll just knock this out pretty quick. You, you, you know these Scriptures, okay? So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, you, you know the story of the fall of man. But this is important because I want you to get this. Our first ancestors had the most close 
of any relationship that has ever been had with God. They were with him, spoke with him as God appeared to them, shared with him. They had nothing between them, no sin whatsoever that stood between them them and God. And they would walk with him in the cool of the day. They could hear his voice. They experienced an unadulterated, unencumbered, let's just say, a relationship with God. And God had told them, he says, I will give you this entire garden. It's yours. Keep it. Take care of it. Eat of it. Enjoy it. He says, but I reserve one thing for myself. And the one thing that I reserve is there's a tree over there. He said, don't eat it. I'll call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm telling you this, that the day that you mess with that tree, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Many people will begin to say, well, why would God put a tree in it? You're missing it. You're missing it. My question is, why aren't there 50 trees? Okay? It doesn't matter. God looked at him and said, I'll give you everything, but I only want one thing for me. And that is that you love me and listen to me. That is what the tree, though there was an actual tree, but that is what the tree symbolized. Will you listen to me and love me and choose me above everything else? I have given you life. Listen to me. So I told him, don't touch it. And the day you do it, you will surely die. Well, then we get to this. So one day, Eve and Adam are out there doing their things and the serpent shows up. God bless the reading of the Lord's word. And it says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Either way, this animal is going to speak and it's not going to startle Eve. So I don't know how the relationship with animals actually works. Some people would say to us, by the way, whenever you go to seminary, there are some really good seminaries, there's some really good classes which really clear things up for you, and then there are people that are educated beyond their intelligence, and they can take something like this and make it so confusing that you never want to read Genesis ever again. That's the truth. So people want to debate, well, was it an actual serpent? Or was, or was it, or was it God, uh, Satan possessing a serpent? And, and did it have legs or did it not have legs? It don't matter to me. The Bible says and identifies later in Revelation that it was Satan himself that was there. And he utilizes this creased, a creature, it says beast of the field. So this animal is being utilized by Satan. That's about all I need to get through the story. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent speaks to the woman and he says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What does that tell me up front? The serpent knew fully what God had said. Otherwise, how do you lead out with that? Did God tell you not to eat of this tree? Has God said that to you? He knew it. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. All of them, we can eat them. But of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The whole reason for the tree is so that people would love, serve, and listen to God. Only thing God did was he said, I'm putting you in relationship to me. You have to know that there are things that are not good. And I'm giving you an example. I'm keeping that tree for myself. Don't touch it. 
You have to honor me as God. And they knew it. Said, we, we're not supposed to do it. Told the serpent that. God said clearly, you're going to die. Verse 4, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. That's about as in your face as you can get with a lie. That's like if your father looks at you and says, You smart off one more time to your mama, I'm going to light you up. And then somebody goes, you know, after daddy walks away and says, Oh, daddy's not going to light you up if you smart off to your mama one more time. I would have told that person, Knock yourself out. Find out for yourself. My father does not discriminate. So, yeah, he doesn't. You know, I shouldn't have said that, but that's the truth. The neighborhood I grew up in was a well-established, a lot of senior saints in the neighborhood. Did you know that you could get beat by every person in the neighborhood before you got home? (laughs) That's a true story. And if somebody ever came outside and said, Woo, I saw what you did. I'm telling your mom and daddy, just beat me now. Please, just beat me. You embarrassed us in the neighborhood. Okay, moving on. So he says, you will not surely die, but there's a reason. I'm going to paraphrase. There's a reason why God doesn't want you to eat the tree because God knows that in the day that you eat, the day that you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, a temptation. God is withholding something from you that you just might want. It's not death. But it's that God doesn't want you to have something. If you had it, you know, you'd be like God. I find it interesting that the temptation he hits Adam and Eve with is Satan's temptation, the very thing that he wants. He wants to be God. He wants to be the ruler. He wants to be in charge. The only difference is God wants to bless and he wants to consume. God wants to set free and he wants to enslave. And so they succumb and they they say, okay. So they turn around and rather than listening to God, rather than heeding his voice, rather than saying God has told us these things would happen, they go, they eat of the tree She gives some to her husband. He eats too. He's just as culpable as everybody else. And what happens because of this? God told them that they would die. And the truth is, eventually, you know, from the dust they came to the dust they will return. The Bible even says so. As God speaks over creation. But immediately they lose that thing which they could not have fully understood the beauty and the blessedness and actually the glorious aspect of being able to approach God in innocence. When sin doesn't stand between you and God, you can approach him. He's your father. But when sin comes into the picture, there's this blight between you and him. You have disobeyed him and he may love you, And he may desire for you to be clean, but something's got to happen. Sin has now injured the relationship. Now we're at arm's length. 
For the first time, God comes to his children, and what do they do? They run away. They hide. They don't come running to God. God says, where are you? Why, why aren't you out here? Well, you know, we heard you in the garden, but we had to run and hide because we're naked. And then you know how we've talked about this before. God says, who told you you were naked? Have you ever seen children violated? And I'm not going to go into all those stories that I've shared before, but you see children who have that innocence of mind, but then they're exposed to stuff that they are not ready for. You know, they haven't really heard about, or let's just say the nightly news can be terrifying to a child. Come to think about it, it's terrifying to me half the time. But anyway, the point is, is there's certain things that you hear in the world and, you know, a child doesn't understand. Why are people killing people? But, you know, as you grow, you, you begin to be able to handle those things. But what I'm saying is there was a violation of the man and the woman. Satan had stolen from them. He stole their innocence. And God in his grace and love makes coverings for them. God in his grace and love makes sacrifice for them. God still loves his people because it is in this very chapter he promises that his son will come and his son will save. That's a good God. But now I want to go back, if you will, bring back up Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. The problem is in this war that is in our heart, we have got to learn to believe God. What did Adam and Eve do? It's not that Adam and Eve are more wicked than anybody else. They're our perfect representatives. They showed us what we did do, not what we might have done, what we did. Perfect representatives for you and me. And we failed, and we turned away from God because we didn't want to listen to it. But saints, you hear these scriptures like, if my people, which are called by my name, you know, will humble themselves, repent of their sins, you know, and pray, turn from their wicked ways, right? God says, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their lands. Then I will do all of these things. When people repent, repentance, let, let, me, let me do this. Repentance is like a compass. You have a compass that always wants to tell you where north is. But anyway, I had to look at my wife. There's a little joke there about north, but I won't go there. But let's just say it doesn't point north. It points towards God. In our lives, we get all turned around. But when you repent of your sins and say, God, I need you back on that throne. I need to follow you. I need to listen to you. I need to trust what you say. It's not what I think. It's not what I hear. Nor does it matter what people do. It's what I need to do. And that is listen and do it your way. To seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And these rest of this stuff will be added unto me. To trust you, to put you first. Whether you slay me or not, whether I'm taken from this world, I'm still, if I go out, I'm going out loving and serving you. When you do that, it realigns the compass. It gets you pointed towards Jesus, which in turn brings us to this. The daily struggles of your life is what God is working on in your life. 
It does not have to be cataclysmic, though it can be. It does not have to be some life-altering situation. The little things in your life that you are exposed to day by day are designed by God to shape you. Let Him have His perfect work. Stop getting angry. Stop losing control. Stop holding grudges. Stop looking at other people in ways that they don't need to and start looking at yourself. And when you look at yourself, do I meet up with what God has said? Am I believing, trusting, and acting on what God said? If not, worship. Worship, 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 worship. You say, well, Shane, I don't think I need to sit in the corner for 10 minutes and and sing and love God. Spoken like somebody who's never worshiped. Oh, yeah, I said it. Most people are angry at me most of the time anyway. One more won't matter. But I want you to think about it. Worship is the transforming experience. It is when we are lifted up into God's presence. You want to know God? You want to walk with God? Worship God. Otherwise, you're spinning your wheels. Give you another good example here. I am going to see. Woo, we're over time. But you know what? Not done yet. I know professors that have pretty much memorized this book. They speak not only Hebrew and Greek, they are grammarians. They can write it, interpret it, they can do it all. Aramaic, Latin, they can do it. They know so much about this book and the theories that surround it. I mean, they are just Mr. and Mrs. It whenever it comes to this book. And some of them are not saved. This is nothing more than a textbook. And they do not believe in the author of the book, nor do they believe in miracles. And yet they know it. So you sit there and you say, well, I read my Bible every single day. I got everything I need. Not if you don't worship. If you don't worship, which means communing, listening to, supping with, obeying God, all of that goes into it, along with your Bible study. If you're not worshiping God, you are slipping. We cannot exist and be what we're supposed to be without worship. And worship means we have got to listen to and to believe God. Amen? All right. Did I say that okay? Okay, just want to make sure. All right, his worship team is coming. Tonight, we do have a business meeting. I needed to share that again. So please come. We've got some church property we want to discuss and see how you feel about it. Today, if God is speaking with your heart and you feel him tugging on you. The truth is you can stay right where you are, okay? And if you walk the aisles, we don't get tick marks in heaven or anything like that. But walking the aisles is an attitude of surrender if God is speaking to you. If he's pulling you, it's a surrender. It's a letting go of self and it's a grabbing hold of God. So if God is tugging on your heart and you need prayer today, I'll be down here. There'll be other ones if I'm praying with somebody. And we're available always to pray with you about anything that might be going on in your heart and life. It may be attached to this message. It could be something else that's going on in your life as God is speaking to you. 
as the music is being played in just a moment. If you feel God leading you, step out and come on down. You don't need special invitations. Step on out. Come down. Uh, come here in front of me or in front of anybody else that's here. We'd love to pray with you. Or let's say you want some time alone. To my right, to my left, anywhere alone here. If you just want to stand, kneel, or if your legs will not allow you, sit on the front row between you and Jesus. And today, if you don't know him, or if you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, please do not leave without grabbing somebody and say, I need to talk. Don't leave without Jesus. Let us respond as God speaks to us. If everyone will please stand. Have you been to the cross where the Lord Jesus suffered? Have you been to I need to turn myself back on. Some of you are like, no, you can just keep that right off. That's, that's good. Just, just tell us we can go. Well, anyway, love you. And, of course, many blessings upon you. And I look forward to seeing you tonight. And depending upon how long the business meeting runs, uh, we may be able to have a little bit of teaching tonight, which I look forward to. And uh, you said you had something you wanted to share. Just from on, go right here. Go ahead.
How about this? What are they needing right now? Water, food, cleaning supplies. So water, food, cleaning, cleaning supplies. What we'll do is we'll put out a push notice at the church, and if anybody would like to donate, you're certainly welcome to do so. We'll do that. Okay. Okay, we'll get information out to everybody and we can see what we can do. All right, that being said, I'll see you tonight for the business meeting. The Lord bless you, keep you. You're dismissed. God bless.